0: Amen. Uh, good morning, church. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. amen. Can we reverse that? Can you tell me Jesus is Lord and I'll say amen? Amen. 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 We welcome all of our children back into worship this morning. Uh, and as we do so, we begin by acknowledging that last week was a difficult week. Uh, We lament the brokenness that was displayed during the outburst uh, in worship, and we want to reinforce that our First Presbyterian Church family, we are a safe place for grace, that everyone who needs grace needs to know that there are no closed doors at the cross. Brokenness here is welcome, but we are not only a safe place, we are a secure place, So as we welcome brokenness, we acknowledge that there are certain behaviors that we can't accept here. And we want to encourage you uh, that we have taken steps of security and we have encouraged uh, a safe distance, a a place of self-awareness where people can evaluate and hopefully repentance can be found. And we want everyone to know that as we deeply care about every single person who was involved last week? We also care about reinforcing that we are a safe place for anyone who needs grace, but a secure place for everyone who comes to worship. I appreciate the testimonies of people who stood up, everyone who started praying, and all those who reached out for prayer, all those who sh- reached out to show care. We want to continue to encourage that, but we do so this morning with. Uh, heavy hearts. We lament the brokenness of our world, of our, of our hearts, as we welcome the name of Jesus. He is Lord. We acknowledge that all of us are in need of grace. And so we gather to celebrate in this time and place, the open door at the cross. As we reinforce, we are secure. Okay? This morning, we're gonna let God's word do the work. We're gonna study Hebrews, and we're gonna study the power of the appearance of God, the reality of God showing up. God has been faithful to his promises. God is faithful to us in the present, and those realities should fuel and feed our faith so that we can have confidence in God's promised future grace. God's first coming, his first appearance, was one of humility. God's second coming, his return, will be one of victory. And that's what we're going to study in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 to 28. Would you please follow along on the screen above me? Hear the word of the Lord. But as it is, Jesus has appeared. Once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Please join me in this call and response. All flesh is grass and all of its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Before we study the word of the Lord, will you please join me in going to the Lord of the word in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the security and the safety that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ to discover the grace that you offer us. We thank you for the hope that we have in your finished work, that our burdens and our brokenness can be transformed into beauty. Lord, we thank you that where our hearts are looking for healing, where our our lives are longing for hope, Lord, your word gives us more than we can ask or imagine. We praise you and thank you and ask for your Holy Spirit to speak. We desire not to just be inspired, but to truly be transformed that we might know you more fully, that we might experience your work more fruitfully, and that we might live here to serve for the glory of your name more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. God's... Word, His grace gives us freedom uh, to have a level of self-awareness to evaluate ourselves. Uh, we are to be honest with ourselves and where we need to grow. This is true in all of life. It's true in marriage. That's true in marriage, right, Bobby and Danny? Thank you for your leadership on the marriage ministry team. We're humbled by how members of our congregation step up to serve and to lead. We see this in our marriage ministry space. We see it all over, but you, you've heard testimony of our mental health ministry. Uh, it's unreal how God is bringing healing, and you've even heard testimony of our financial uh, health team. And did you know this? Did you know this? Last year in 2021, members of our congregation who took place in the financial health team they paid off over a half of a million dollars worth of debt. Did you know that? unbelievable. Talk about freedom and health and hope. And so these are members of our congregation who are standing up and saying, Lord, we want to be your ambassadors, your agents of redemption, your ministers of reconciliation. And so we're really humbled by that. But in light of today's good news moment for marriage ministry, I thought I'd share with you a little window into my own marriage. We've been married almost 23 years, 22 and a half years. Uh, Right, Lisa? I can't get too far ahead of ourselves on that one. But Lisa uh, is very gracious in helping me grow in my self-awareness, and I was telling our discipleship group this week uh, how uh, God's Word helped me uh, discover the standard that God has for my life in the context of marriage. One verse that we're memorizing in our discipleship group is Romans 8.1. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, in a marriage discussion last week, uh, if you've been married long enough, you know what that's code for, marriage discussion, right? Yeah, okay. Um, so we're talking, and rightfully, uh, I was diagnosed as, uh, you know, we're memorizing this verse, uh, at Romans 8:1. 1. Uh, there's no condemnation in Christ. It sounds like there's some condemnation that's coming out of your heart. And I did what any humble, loving father, husband does, and I mocked my wife. It sounds like you're being a (laughs) But God's word, given by God's people, and shared in God's body. This is a standard for our life, and our love, uh, and our leadership. And as we study the appearance of God, we see how, The first appearance of Christ helps us interpret what it means to truly live fully, abundantly, fruitfully, and faithfully, and also with a secure hope and a a fueled faith in Christ's second appearance. We're going to follow this word appearance. If you have your Bible, I I encourage you uh, just to look at the context. Uh, We've been talking about and studying Jesus being our great high priest, and in verse 24, uh, we are told that. Christ appears, present tense, in the presence of God on our behalf. And he represents our high priest uh, who mediates the blessings of God between God and his people. He is that better sacrifice who gives us the better covenant so that we can have a better hope. Jesus is better and he appears, present tense, on behalf of all who trust him in heaven representing you. That's good news. But today's passage, the author unpacks that more, how we can have security in that hope. You see the word appear in verse 26. He has appeared once and for all. That's speaking of his incarnation. And then the second appear, you see in verse 28, if you look down, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. And so this word appear is repeated. And we could even go back and look at verse one uh, but, and go through the rest of the chapter, but we're going to spare us the detail. For now, I want you to know we're following the stream of thought of the author of Hebrews and this argument that is designed to fuel your faith, to secure your foundation, to be more deeply rooted in God's faithfulness. And so let's look at this passage together. The first appearance of Christ, we know it, he came as a humble king. And we see this uh, in verse 26, Christ appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, why would we take that verse to understand that Jesus came the first time as a humble king? Because The reality of his incarnation was the manifestation, the appearance of God in the state of humility. He came as a servant. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he took the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. That Our king, he left the Mount of Olives. In demonstrating his sovereignty, he told his disciples to go find a cult. Could you imagine that direction by the king? If Jesus just told you, like, hey, I need you to go. And I need you to go talk to some guy you're going to run into. And when you run into him, you're going to ask him about a colt that you haven't seen. And that colt hasn't been ridden. And I need you just to tell him that the king needs it. Tell him to bring it. And I would be like, uh, Jesus, like, what were you doing up there on the Mount of Olives? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a little freaky. But they follow it. Jesus is in total control. And he comes into Jerusalem through the East Gate, on a colt and he's surrounded by crowds of people waving palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who brings the kingdom of our father David. Jesus comes into Jerusalem with shouts of acclamation using God's word from Psalm 118 that is declaring that he is king. But he came in humility because we know in hindsight those same crowds that welcomed him would be the people who would later condemn him. And the one who came into Jerusalem riding on a colt would later die on a cross. The one who was welcomed by the crowds would later be rejected by the people, rejected by the religious authorities, and even rejected by God as he hung on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus came in his first appearance, his first manifestation as a humble king, sovereign over circumstances, but a servant going to the cross. Do you see it? That is the whole point of why he came according to the author of Hebrews. He appeared for all who believe, but he appeared so that he could put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see that in verse 26? So that he could bear the sins of many, all who believe. You see, the crowds were proof texting. They knew that they wanted a king that would overthrow the power and the rule of the authority of rome they wanted a king like daniel 7 prophesied and promised and so they took selected passages from the old testament and they applied those to their situation but they ignored other passages like the prophecy of isaiah 53 that this king who would come would be a servant who would suffer And this language that the author of Hebrews gives us diagnoses their temptation to proof text for their own preference by eliminating the humiliation that the king would experience and the suffering that was needed to be experienced before the exaltation. We all have a tendency to do that, don't we? All of us have a tendency to proof text, to take the pieces of what we want and to not see the parts of scripture that call us to a standard. You see, Jesus coming in humility should dramatically shape our life and our love. When applying the incarnation, the first coming of Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter two that we should have his mind among us, that we should consider other people better than ourselves, that we should look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others, that we should have the same mind as our master, the one who saved us by grace and gave his life for us, should be our standard for our own life and our own love. In Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, Paul speaks to people who have been bought by God's grace as children of the Father. And he says, be imitators of God. As dearly loved children, walk in love as you have been loved, as Christ has loved you and given himself for you. The standard of our life, the word that is accountable for us is that we are called to be servants as Christ has served us. And we should allow the word of God to rebuke, it, rebuke us, to correct us. And unfortunately, we have allowed the word of our culture to come in and to help us uh, or to to deceive us into misunderstanding power, that we shouldn't approach in humility others, uh, that we should approach in domination, that we shouldn't take a low path of service, uh, but we should take a high path of trying to have the highest status. We have allowed the enemy uh, into our ranks and to confuse our understanding of power. And we have celebrated and tolerated uh, uh, images of the abuse of power in our culture. So what does it look like for people uh, when they try to take power into their own hands? What does it look like for people who, who uh, are, are try to, uh, try to uh, act in self-righteousness and being uh, a judge rather than allowing God to judge? Well, it gets nasty. And this is the question you need to ask, though, because this is the diagnostic question that the author of Hebrews asks. He talks about the humility of God's first appearance and whether or not we know it, he goes to verse 27. Do you see this in 27? He says, just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, the sins of many will appear a second time. You see, the author of Hebrews is intentionally putting this in context, helping us to see whether or not we have the appearance of Christ in our life and love, who when he appeared the first time did so in humiliation, or if we have more of the appearance of our culture. And he does this by asking a question. Are you secure in the ultimate judgment of God? That is, personally and socially? Are you secure that Jesus has put away your sin? That's why I came the first time, to put away your sin. There's no condemnation in him. And are you secure to know that he's put away the sin of this world so that we're free to not be self-righteous, not be judgmental, to not take matters into our own hands, but to trust him as the just judge of all the earth? You, you and I, were mortal. You and I, we will die. That is guaranteed. Everybody will die once. And after that, judgment. Do we trust and are we ready for God's judgment? Abraham, in Genesis 18, describes God as the just judge of all the earth. Do you live it? Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, he says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And you and I, when we have trouble having the appearance of Christ, and we appear more like the culture, we want to be about our father's business, right? Well, our father's in the business of judgment and vengeance. I want to be too. (laughs) But that's not what the gospel frees us to do. The gospel frees us to be self-aware, We're not held righteously by our own standard or our own conduct. We're held in righteousness by the conduct and the character and the work of Jesus so we can repent where we're off. What does it look like when someone uses violence, trying to take vengeance in their own hands? What does it look like when someone acts self-righteously and uses a physical assault to try to turn a wrong and make it right? What does it look like? Ask Will Smith. Because that's exactly what he did. That's what the world does. And that's most of what we see. That we rise up and we wanna appear like the world and in our self-righteousness and our perceived strength, we're gonna establish visions. But the gospel speaks a different word. And there are pictures of that culturally. You remember 2007 when the Amish community was uh, just devastated by the gunmen who went to their schools and shot their children? Do you remember how the Amish community responded in the name of Christ? They were devastated, but they were not vengeful. They forgave. And do you remember in 2015, in the month of June, when Dylan Rufus went into Mount Zion Church in Charleston, South Carolina? Do you remember this? And during a prayer meeting, this racist, white supremacist, Angry, self-justifying, one who would appear as the, the power of this world went in and to people who were praying, who welcomed him into the prayer room, he shot them down, gunned them down in the church. Do you remember how the church responded? When Dylan Rufus was on trial, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. It's unbelievable. Family by family victim by victim, they took the stand and they said publicly to Dylan Rufus, your pain that you have caused us is real. The loss that you have given us will never be filled up again. But in the name of Jesus, we forgive you. Jesus has forgiven us and we forgive you. In this picture, it's on my iPad. This is from outside of Emanuel AMT Church. I'm sorry, I got the name of the church wrong. Charleston, South Carolina. I went there. I wanted to go there because hopefully something like that could be contagious in my life. But it turns out it doesn't happen by proximity to a place, but in the context of a person of Jesus Christ. And this is on the outside of the church now when they had to keep people out because there were so many people coming. Ephesians 4, 32 we f- forgive as we've been forgiven. You see, that is a deep security, understanding that the appearance of God should hold us accountable as the people of God, that we should reflect the image, the life, and the love of God. In a world of war-, war, we bring peace. In a world of division, we seek unity. In a world of hate, we show love. In a world with bitterness and anxiety, we give forgiveness. Why? Because we are a people who have received forgiveness. We show grace because we've received grace. That's why Christ came to put away sin. And in him, you are forgiven. And my friends, you are free to show his love. You don't need to take vengeance. You can be an everyday valentine. By your life, your labor, what your lips say, and with your love. This is what that means for us. Christ has appeared. And we can be sure of our hope because the promise of this passage as we conclude is that he will appear again. The first time he came, he came in humility. But the second time he will come, my friends, Christ will appear as a victorious king. He's already offered his life to bear the sins of many. You see that in verse 28. He will appear a second time Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await for him. The one who came into Jerusalem on a colt, Mark 11, 1 to 11, will return to the world on a warhorse, Revelation 19. He will come as one who will put an end to sin, who will resurrect all for a final judgment in the light of his love and his glory will be a blessing to those who believe in him. But for those who trust other kings of our culture and don't put their faith in Christ as king and savior and Lord and aren't a part of the family of God by faith, restored as children of God, sealed by the spirit of God, being renewed in the image of God, seeking to live for the glory of God, folks outside of that family the judgment return of Christ is not good news because it is a day of wrath. It's a day of judgment and we will be judged where our righteousness is found and where our hope lies. And Jesus came, he came to die so that those trust who trust in him can live. He came to take our sin and he'll return to welcome those who have by faith received his righteousness. Jesus came the first time and was broken so that all of us who are broken can find the blessing of restoration and the the sure excitement on the beautiful day when Christ will return. Here's what that means. What that means is that Christians live in victory now. Christ will appear. But right now, you live in victory. In our world that gives you anxiety, you can have peace. How great is that peace? Paul calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding. In a world where you might be struggling with depression, God wants to give light and love. We live from victory. Jesus is gonna give victory. So in a world where there is hate, God sends his people who have received his love to show love. In a world where there is division, God wants to use you to bring unity. Do you believe that, church? In a world that is marked with death, God wants to use you. Use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you to bring forth new, abundant, and fruitful life in all that you do. That is for everyone who's in Christ, everything that you do and everywhere where he sends us because our God is king. He has come, he will come again. He has conquered the grave and he will come and bring the reality of that resurrection through his complete application of his victory. And so one more implication of that. That means we don't have to fight to try to win the battle. It means that as we show his love, we can actually be willing losers for other people's gain. It means that even in a world where there's real enemies, we can love our enemies. It means that in a world where there's real aggression, if Jesus has victory and we are hit, we can turn the other cheek. When someone takes our coat or our cloak from us, we can give them the extra. That's how Jesus teaches his disciples to live and to love in a broken world because we have his victory today, right now. And that's freedom, my friends. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And as I pray, I invite the prayer team forward, please. Please come forward, Lord. Uh, We pray for your spirit to fall on us as we celebrate and sing your victory. We know, Lord, that many people in here are not experiencing the, the victory that comes in the power of the gospel, knowing that you have appeared and you will appear, that you've put away sin and you'll deal with all of mankind, humankind, that are living in rebellion against you. Lord, for those who are intensely broken this morning who need their burden lifted, I pray that they will feel the freedom to come pray with our prayer team. For all of us, I ask that we would feel the freedom to to live in light of your victory. You have come, you will come again. Uh, You have arisen from the dead and you will bring eternal life in a world of peace and hope. We praise you and thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.